Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. A quick trip to the supermarket isn't as successful a venture as it was a few weeks ago. You might turn up to your local to find the meat cabinet bare, the fruit and veg section lacking, and other aisles without the products you're after. Today, we find out what exactly is happening to our food supply right now. How do we get the supply chain back to normal, and how long is that going to take? Remember the time before COVID when you were feeling a bit crook? In that moment, you could decide that you may still go to work instead of calling in sick. Maybe you needed the cash. Perhaps you're the only one who can do the job, or maybe you're short-staffed. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You make one of your colleagues a bit crook and they may or may not decide to take a day off too. And certainly not like that anymore. If you even have the slightest sniffle, scratchy throat or cough, you have to take time away from not just work, but everyone else around you, as you isolate until you either find out it's not COVID or you're no longer infectious. Your decision to not go to work now means someone's elderly family member doesn't get infected. It could mean an immunocompromised person avoids the virus. It could mean someone otherwise fit and healthy doesn't lose their life to a virus that can randomly take a young person without warning. It's been the nature of the beast we've been dealing with for the past two years. But now, it's different. Now, COVID numbers are increasing in most states and territories. We've come to an understanding that this is life now, and we have to deal with it as it comes at us. But that also means still trying to adhere to the strategy to keep vulnerable members of our community safe. That is to test, trace and isolate. Now, that was very much doable when it was a few hundred people testing, tracing and isolating. But as we've seen with the testing part of that equation, hundreds of thousands of people trying to do the right thing has left the system in tatters. So what happens when all those who are now isolating, whether they be deemed a close contact or who actually have the virus, are taken out of the supply chain? What impact does that have on the nation's food security? Many Aussie shoppers, including those in WA, the state least affected by this current Omicron COVID variant wave, are facing bare shelves in certain sections of the supermarket meat cabinets and fruit and veg sections in particular. It's hard to understand why when the butcher just next door has a full range on display and the independent fruit and veg shop down the road is bursting with seasonal goodness. But one reason is that the supply chain of the major supermarkets is much bigger than those retailers who may source their product locally. Big retailers require large volumes and that means sourcing goods from across the country. Goods that need to be grown en masse, processed en masse, and then delivered by a fleet of vehicles able to travel across the country freely. Mick Power is Logistics Coordinator for the United Workers' Union, which represents over 150,000 members across 45 different industries, including those who work on farms, in food processing like abattoirs, and in the warehouses who receive and distribute the food and other products that end up on our supermarket shelves. Mick, can we start 
at the beginning of the supply chain? How's COVID impacting our farmers, for example? For the last two years, really, people in the farm sector have been really stressed about having enough workers, not so much because of the Omicron wave. They were really concerned because the people who pick and pack fruit and vegetables are overwhelmingly migrant workers on extremely low paying conditions. And it turns out when you close the borders, it's really, really hard to find Australians who will want to pick fruit for as low as $7 an hour. People in the food processing facility, so the people who turn the live chicken into chicken fillets or the people who are making bread, those facilities are some of the places where COVID has been most prevalent in the last couple of years. So the people who were getting COVID most and the people who were getting most hurt from COVID were often the people working in those facilities. And then on top of that, because we've got this really big Omicron wave, a lot of the people who produce your chicken or produce your bread They've either got COVID right now or they're a close contact of someone who's got COVID. And so huge sections of these facilities, people are just at home. They could be running on like half strength right now. And for a facility where there's 1,000 people, if 500 of them are off, that's an issue. So the reason that when you go to KFC, there's all these concerns about is there going to be chicken there is because the factories that produce that, there's just hardly anyone there. For warehouses, it's the same. We're hearing now that We're looking at fruit and vegetables basically rotting in the fields. That sounds very dramatic, but is that true? That's something that grower groups always say. So if you're growing apples or if you're growing any sort of seasonal vegetables, what you need is for about three months of the year, you need a huge amount of workers. And for the rest of the year, you need much less. So let's say you need 400 workers for most of the year. For three months, you need 2,000, right? Like it's a huge seasonal spike. And so the farmers are always really nervous about getting enough workers for that very short period of time. So to be honest, they're always saying that. They're always complaining about, well, we don't want to have fruit rotting in the fields. It is coming into peak season for a couple of producers right now, including apples. The concern is not that there's not enough food to feed Australians right now. It's getting it to the front doors, getting it processed, getting it packaged, getting it sent to the supermarkets. That's the issue. As you mentioned, abattoirs in particular have been the source of COVID outbreaks quite consistently throughout this pandemic. And right now with the Omicron wave, that's no different. But for example, I was just reading about an abattoir in South Australia that has sent a message to all their staff saying, even if you have tested positive, if you are asymptomatic, you are still expected to come to work because the worker shortage is that bad. How do workers feel about that. They know how important they are to the supply chain, but at the same time, they have to look after themselves. How do they feel about this? If you go to one of these factories, there's a thousand people who are working pretty close together, like sometimes shoulder touching. And so if someone comes to work with COVID, you better believe that 500 people are going to get COVID pretty quickly. And that's why they've been really dangerous places to work during the pandemic. Because there are such staff shortages right now due to the amount of people at home isolating, In the last week, a lot of state governments have made a rule that says, as long as you're not symptomatic, we still need you to come to work and you're still allowed to come to work. That's pretty scary. If you have 200 people come back to work, all of whom are close contacts, even if they have a negative test or they don't have symptoms, just because of the number of people coming back to a big facility, there's a really good chance that you've got at least a couple of people who are COVID positive and infectious who you've just invited back into your factory which means that the spread is going to continue amplifying and spreading. 
over the last two years, if a company did that, if they had someone COVID positive or who might be COVID positive on site, we would have and we have had workers just walk off the job. So in Australia, workers can just walk off the job if there is an immediate risk to your health and safety. That's a legal right that workers have. And a lot of warehouse workers and food production workers have used that in the last two years. They've just shut their facility down themselves for safety reasons. I've spoken to some workers who say, look, we've got to keep food on the supermarket shelves. You know, it's a risk I'm willing to take. I've spoken to other workers who say this is ridiculous. If they bring someone who's COVID positive or a close contact in here, we're walking off. Where the majority of workers land, I think we'll have to wait another week and see. So now we know how COVID and other factors are impacting several parts of the supply chain right now. What about the thing that links them together? Transport. If you've been to a PCR testing site, you might have noticed an express lane for truckies who are being tested over and over again, depending on where their route takes them. They've already been handling the pandemic as best they can while also being blamed for spreading the virus when outbreaks have occurred across borders. Michael Kane is the National Secretary of the Transport Workers' Union. Michael, what's the reality for transport workers at the moment? Are they still just keeping on with how it's been going for the past few years or has this current wave hit harder for them too? I think it's clear that this variant has really stepped it up. I mean, transport workers, I think people have come to understand through this crisis, have really been some of the backbone of our economy. Through the first two years, they've kept our supply chains open. They've delivered to us our food and necessities while we've been in lockdown in our major cities. And of course, they've been in the firing line. They were in the firing line long before there was any suggestion that we were going to get a really good vaccine. You know, that means that people now, I think, have a very good understanding about how important transport workers are. This crisis has really demonstrated that. And this Omicron variant has shown it again because what we've seen are masses of workers right across the economy sick. And if you've got sick workers in transport supply chains, you've literally got the risk that we're starting to see crystallise now of the country coming to a halt because, of course, our supermarket shelves rely on transport workers to get the goods from the factories, from the abattoirs, from the warehouses to the supermarket shelves. And, of course, when we're talking about our rapid antigen tests, when we get enough for us all to use, our transport workers are key to getting those tests to the points of distribution for the rest of the community. So they are critical workers. The supply chains have been smashed. There's been a lack of foresight here from our governments. The workers are under pressure. They're sick. At this moment in time, we need to think about what are we going to do to get this reset because it is quite a serious situation. One of the ways the government is looking to reset is the change to isolation rules. How are workers feeling about going back to work, even if they have been a close contact of someone with COVID, before that seven-day isolation period is up? When you go back to July and September last year, when the Transport Workers Union, on behalf of transport workers across the economy, wrote to the Prime Minister and to National Cabinet, that was when the Delta strain had just started to hit. We said at that time that we needed to put a roadmap to navigate through COVID-19 because quite clearly we understood by that point that COVID was going to be with us for a period of time. And one of the things we said in the light of the Delta variant was that that was so much more transmissible that we were going to need in road transport supply chains different testing regimes which were reliant on rapid antigen tests. And we said then 
the government needed to fund and flood into road transport supply chains rapid antigen tests so that workers could test every day before they came to work. They could have the confidence that they were negative when they were seeing their workmates and the workplace would be healthier because there would be less chance that the virus was being spread through road transport supply chains. Now, if we'd have done that, we would have right now a much healthier workforce, particularly in the light of the even more transmissible Omicron strain. Finally, the last people in the supply chain, other than you, standing in front of your supermarket fruit and veg section asking where all the strawberries have gone, is, of course, the supermarket workers. We did a call out for those who work on the front lines to see what they've been dealing with. And this is what their lives look like at the moment. My husband is a manager at Woolworths. The abuse and constant questioning is the hardest part. He can't control what is on the shelf. He doesn't know when the load will come and or what will or won't be on it. I think society as a whole needs to think about their actions and not blame the people going to work every day. They also have been told that they don't need to isolate like every other close contact in the home. So they still have to go to work to continue to cop the abuse and questions. I don't think he's felt this amount of stress in a while and it's been a long two years. I have two teenage children in retail. One is getting no shifts as there's nothing to unpack and the other one is getting abused daily because there are no rapids available. She's had groceries and bags thrown at her and she's also fielding phone calls about what to do if you have COVID and where to get tested because there are no rats. Yes, people are that desperate to talk to someone that they're asking the teenage supermarket employees for advice. All this is for casual money with no additional training or support. I work as a rep, so I visit many supermarkets every day. Honestly, customers seem pretty aware of what's happening, so they're just shopping for four to five days meals at a time. I've not seen any anger, maybe a little bit of shock at how little variety there is. Most store managers don't seem that stressed. They've got the attitude of, what can I do? It's out of my control. I think they're just over it at the moment. It's been two years of hell for them all. Now there's really nothing they can do but take it day by day. So what's the answer here? If changing isolation rules isn't the way to get our supply chain back on track, what is? Mick says, change worker conditions. So some of these facilities, they have good wages and good conditions, and some of them they really, really don't. Over the last year, these essential workers who I mentioned, the ones who are at the highest risk of getting COVID and the ones who are keeping the supermarket shelves stocked, warehouse workers on the whole took a pay cut. So inflation went up by more than the average wage in this industry. And that's for a bunch of reasons. One is that companies took advantage of the pandemic to kind of suppress workers' wages. One is that for large sections of the year, you can't really go on strike during a lockdown. So it did impede workers' ability to organise. But, you know, last year was a really, really difficult year for these workers. And at the end of the year, we said, look, a lot of you who are in the union have done well and your wages and conditions have gone up more. But there's a lot of workers in these industries who basically copped a pay cut last year. For people who run businesses, I thought the general rule is that if you're really struggling to find workers, you pay them more. I haven't seen any of that. So in the last two months that we've been talking about this, about supply chain problems, not once have I seen the employers and really not once have I seen governments say we should be offering incentives or better conditions for these workers. What they're more going towards is saying, oh, let's just put them at a little bit more risk and let's just take away some of their rights to say no. Michael says give them the tools they need to get back on the road. Rapid antigen tests freely available for free for every transport worker 
every day at the start of every shift, absolutely necessary. But the other component is we've got to make sure that people aren't going to work when they're sick. They're not forced to go to work when they're sick, but also people that are at the highest risk of carrying the disease without knowing it are not going to work. But one thing they can both agree on is that with the uncertainty surrounding the Omicron wave, no one knows how long it'll continue to impact the supply chain. I think it'll probably come back to how long will this wave of Omicron continue to go for? And that is the question that we're all asking. All the workers, unions, employers, we're all asking how big and how long is this wave going to be? So I don't know, I'm afraid. It's very difficult to see and to foretell a specific period of time. But what we do know is this, that these loosening of the close contact rules may put a few more transport workers at work and in work for the next few days, the next 10 days. But they're very likely, by definition, to be spreading the disease even further, which means that down the track, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks down the track is when we'll see a sicker workforce in road transport supply chains because of the decisions on close contacts, because of the failure to make free and universal access to rapid antigen tests. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you've been missing your daily dose of entertainment and pop culture news, never fear. Our Mamma Mia stablemate, The Spill, is back today. Make sure you check it out, The Spill, with Key and Laura, wherever you get your podcasts. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.